So the first time I ever heard someone uh, talk about church elders was when I was in high school and I was watching an episode of Friends. I'm like, how that old friend was actually on the air and you had to like, like at seven o'clock, like that's when Friends was on. It wasn't just on, it was on Friends. So, uh, so it was an episode of Friends and Phoebe was in that coffee shop that they always hung out in. And uh, someone was talking about something scandalous. Like, I don't know what it was. Um, and Phoebe sarcastically said, oh, that's scandalous. Alert the church elders. And I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> wait, what's the church elder? <laughs> and uh, I had never heard of the punchline to that joke. Um, and I remember implicitly thinking to myself, it seems like Phoebe is saying that church elders are not a good thing. Yeah, I guess that makes sense to me. Pretty sharp critical thinking in my part when I was in high school. So, but after I started following Jesus in college, um, I started going with my friends to a church that was a lot different than the one that I casually went to growing up. Um, and one of the many things that was different about this church was that they had elders. Um, but the thing about the elders in this church was that um, they seemed humble. Um, they were eager to serve. People enjoyed following them. They strived to be examples to their people when it came to following Jesus. And it seemed like their leadership wasn't about lording their authority over people. So helping people follow Jesus was really important. So... Um, I never gave it, a, when I went to um, that church with college, um, I never gave it a second thought when it came to, man, I just really need to submit to these guys. It's just really hard. Like, I never had that thought go through my head. I mean, I knew they weren't perfect or anything, but, like, I never thought that. So, like, and going to that church, it just really blew my categories a lot. You know, I just remember casually thinking at one point, like, huh, these others are a lot different than that punchline that I heard in Friends when I was in college. So my hope today is that when we read this passage in First Peter, this will help blow some of your categories as well. So, so let's just jump right in. So verse 1, so this is chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. So, so I'm just going to slowly go through it. So verse 1, Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. So Peter is specifically addressing the elders of the church. So like, remember, this was a letter that Peter wrote to a group of churches that was going to get like circulated around and everything. So this was letter was meant to be written to, like, meant to be read in front of that church. Okay. So the rest of, you know, the whole letter up to this point was written to the whole church. But then now there's suddenly this sidebar that's like, okay, to the elders. I'm just addressing you particularly right now. So Peter said specifically addressing the elders in the church. The question is, so who are the elders and what do they do? So an, an elder, in the sense that Peter is talking about, isn't someone who is necessarily older, but rather an elder in the church governance sense of the word is referring to the office of elder, which has the highest level of responsibility, like oversight and leadership in the local church. So for example, in 1 Timothy 5, just makes this reference to the elders who direct the affairs of the church. So, so we see that elders provide top-level leadership and oversight for the church. So there are a few different names that the Bible uh, uses for the people in the top level, that top-level leadership in the church. There's like elders, there's 
pastor, there's overseer, there's bishop. All those names are used interchangeably to refer to the same person. So, for example, likewise, in my house, like, I go by a few different names. I go by Aaron. I go by Dad. Father. Dishwashing. Like, whatever it is. So, and all those names are interchangeably used for one person. So, so in the New Testament, elder is referring to the office that they hold. Pastor and overseer are referring to the function of, and what they do. And bishop, I would argue, is referring to the authority that they have. So my kids think they're hilarious, but once in a while, they're like, they'll sarcastically say, Hey, Pastor Aaron, can we talk? And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't call me Pastor Aaron. You call me Dad. Like, that's the same person, but like, because my kids are hilarious like that. And no one's allowed to call me Bishop either, because that would just be weird. <laughs> so, now, um, now you'll notice that the word elder in verse 1 is plural. Okay, so buckle up. I'm going to make a really just astute observation. Okay, I mean, you have to go to Bible school or seminary to learn this. Okay, ready? Okay, so um, since the word elder is plural, that means there should probably be more than one of them. That's so hard to understand. Okay, seriously. Um, you should get a biblical interpretive merit advantage for that one. Okay, so. Whenever elders are talked about in the New Testament, there are more than one of them. And I will not bore you with listening to much of those verses. So you can just Google that on BibleGateway.com. Okay. So, so no passage in the New Testament suggests that a church, regardless of how small it was, had only one elder. So, and to be clear, I don't think Scripture makes a crystal clear case that a church can never have a single elder because probably unique circumstances just happen. I mean, they just do. Um, that being said, um, local churches should always be on the lookout to find a pathway to have a, having a second elder who is called and qualified so that their church can be more in line with the healthy pattern of leadership in the New Testament. So I think that's fair to say. So additionally, like the elders that Peter describes in this passage um, are a plurality. Like there's a plurality of elders that have equal standing and authority with each other. So there's no hierarchy within the elders, and there's no such thing as the senior elder or the varsity elder, and there's the JD elders. Not like there's a plurality of elders, you know. There's, so there's not a thing to think like, well, who's really in charge? You know, that kind of thing. So when it comes to having a plurality of elders, like there are practical and theological reasons for that. Okay, um, it's practical because Brandon and I, for example, we've experienced the alone in ministry thing, and that's totally for the birds. It's like. You don't want to do that, and like that is lonely and weight bearing, and it's just like, ugh. Um, no one should have to share the top level, the burden of top level leadership alone. You know that's why when Becky and I felt led to plant River City, um, we prayed and waited for years for God to clearly um, provide someone that I could share top level leadership with from the outset. You know that's why like sometimes Brandon and I look at each other and we're like, oh, I'm so glad we have each other. We're like, just weird like that, you know. A window into our um, you know, but there are, those are practical reasons why a plurality is good. Like, there's also theological reasons for that. Namely, that a plurality of elders is a demonstration of the gospel. It's a demonstration of the gospel. So if you work in the corporate world, 
Like, you know that a healthy, robust plurality of leadership is pretty uncommon because, among other reasons, people don't naturally share power well with each other. Um, like, I've seen, I'm sure you've seen that in your workplace before. And people often have this utilitarian understanding of leadership where they think the main purpose is to get stuff done. But God's heart for elders is to demonstrate the gospel in the midst of getting stuff done. But for Brandon and I, it's a demonstration of the gospel that people like us who are just really unalike um, can have can have humility to enjoy willingly sharing power with each other, you know, and just actually and not be insecure about it or territorial about it, and just like, you know, you know, the kind of that kind of laying down of rights and prioritizing each other. Like helps point people to the to the reality. There's something unique and beautiful about partnerships like this, and that can only be explained by the gospel transforming people. You know, Jesus changes people in powerful ways, and that includes like when it comes to sharing power with each other. So Brandon and I aren't perfect, but when you find your identity in Christ, and conversely, don't find your identity in getting credit or getting your own way, that's a demonstration of like that God is. A So verse 2, Peter goes on to say to the elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So Peter's calling the elders to be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. So I hope you caught that in that, that verse there. Like Peter is referring to the people in the local church as God's flock. The sheep don't belong to the shepherd. The people don't belong to the pastors. The church doesn't belong to the elders. This isn't my church. The people of God belong to God himself, and River City is a flock that ultimately belongs to God, and we're happy about that. And with that as the starting point, we see that the people of God, excuse me, the people of River City are under our care of elders. And if something that doesn't belong to you is under your care, then you should probably take care of it, not break it. I like when my daughters share toys with each other. It's like, don't, you know, don't break stuff. You know, I think that's part of like stewarding. You know, so that's why elders are called by God to steward the people of God and create an environment where they can flourish. And that's why He calls them shepherds, because that's what shepherds do for the sheep. So they know that shepherd's voice. They're led by the shepherd to give shepherd to good fields of grass and to keep them out of danger, fight off wolves who are trying to eat them, and we can lay down their life for the sheep. So they're committed not primarily to their own welfare, but to the flourishing of the sheep, and they do this by watching over them. So keep in mind, uh, shepherding in the first century in the Middle East, in the Middle East was different than like. Uh, my dad and I, growing up, when I grew up on the farm, it's just like herding beef cattle. Because beef cattle just like, they're just jumpy and scared of whoever, you know? So you just kind of gotta round them up or whatever. Dairy cows are a little bit different. But like, sheep, like being a shepherd, like all those sheep, like they knew like that shepherd's voice. They, they would like, the shepherd would, you know, he wasn't in back of them. He was just like out leading in front. It's like, I know where I'm gonna take these sheep and the sheep trust. So, in a lot of ways, the shepherd leads out of influence. He has a sword. That shepherd has authority, 
they leads out of the abundance of his influence. And this shepherding demonstrates the gospel because it's reflective of how God leads us and watches over us. God has all authority, and he, and, but he expresses his sovereignty through inviting us to follow him because he is good and infinitely trustworthy and knows how to care for us. Sheep trust that kind of shepherd, and ultimately, it's a demonstration of the gospel because God watches over us, and that's why we watch over our people. So Peter goes on to say, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Elders should actually want to be elders. Maybe that's maybe that's obvious, but uh, that it's surprising how often that, um, like somewhat often that doesn't happen. Um, so rule of thumb, if it takes a lot of, I mean, I get a little nervous, like when people are a little too excited to be having topics of leadership a little bit. Like, but it's like this passage, like it really talks, you know, just really points us to like, if it takes a lot of convincing for someone to be an elder, that's often a decent sign that being an elder isn't a good fit because leading and shepherding and serving people should some, be something that an elder is willing and eager to do and not in begrudging. You know, usually begrudging duty manifests itself in complaining and complaining and complaining about the sheep. You know, and that's not that's not the heart of the shepherd. So, and a willingness to lead and serve <coughs> demonstrates the gospel because God doesn't begrudgingly lead us, and He doesn't sit around complaining within the Trinity. You know, complaining about us when we don't get it. He doesn't do that. He loves us and is patient with us and is unflinchingly dedicated to our flourishing under his leadership and authority. That informs how elders have to think about their people. You know, like when I was in my 20s um, and I lived in Platteville, but I was I was just really lonely and everything. So like I started hanging out like on a weekly basis. So like uh, the pastors in Platteville, they would get together at the one coffee, the one coffee shop in town. And uh, like I, I hung out with those guys um, every week for 10 years, about 10 years. And uh, I, you know, I don't think I ever articulated this in my mind as a clear thought or anything, but man, I, mean, I think I remember thinking something along the lines of like, you know, because all these guys were in their 50s and 60s, you know, I remember thinking to myself like, I think these guys have a lot to learn from me, you know? Like, of course I would never say that out loud, you know, or think that in a clear thought. But, um, um, you know, it was something, you know, most stuff is caught, not taught. That's why, like, you know, we're going to be talking about being an example in a second here. But, like, you know, that they were such a great example to me because um, they, if there was any environment where they could have been just sat there and just complained about their people, like, that was the environment that they could have done that. And they never. Like, they never complained about their people. Like, you know, sometimes they were honest about the challenges and everything, of just, like, um, just of being passionate <coughs> and everything. But, man, like, I just saw over the course of 10 years, like, man, like, these guys just have really gospel-shaped character. And it's just, like, they're just really overflowing with that. And it was just the way that they talked about people and hard situations were just different than the way I would talk about people, you know? And I was just really slowly convicting over time, of just like, 
these guys have hearts of shepherds. Yeah. And like, I really need to have the gospel change me and see how, how does God lead us? And how does God think about me? You know, they were just really, it was really life-changing in a lot of ways. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So it's good to be eager and to serve as an, and lead as an elder, but only for the right reasons. So in the corporate world, often we think that the only thing that really matters is results. But in God's kingdom, your motives matter just as much as the results. So why am I an elder? Like, am I in it for dishonest gain? So when the phrase dishonest gain is used when talking about leadership in the New Testament, particularly 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, it's talking about when a leader is all about the money. Like that's the kind of dishonest gain that's really in view there. So this would be if Brandon and I wanted to start River City so that we could get rich. <laughs> it would be a dumb idea because starting a church from scratch is not how you get rich <laughs> at all. But some leaders do use their positions so that people can be generous to them. Um, whether it's, yeah, and there's all sorts of ways with that, and not just financial for sure. But in this passage, we see that Peter is calling elders to pursue being generous to their people through serving them. And this demonstrates the gospel. Because the gospel is all about God being generous to us in Christ. So we're studying 2 Corinthians in our small groups, and we're eventually going to get to this passage. But 2 Corinthians 8, can't wait until we get to this. Um, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul encourages the Corinthians to be generous by saying, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. In other words, he was encouraging them to be generous through encouraging them to reflect on the gospel through the generosity that God just pours out on us. That's important because generosity is a demonstration of the gospel. That's why elders are called to be generous as servant leaders. So if you've ever, you've ever heard the phrase servant leadership thrown around in Christian leadership circles, um, 1 Peter 5 is one of the places where that comes from. You know, it's like, elders, they have leadership and authority. Well, yeah, they do, but like the way they use their authority is just by serving, like leading through serving. Jesus was a servant leader. That's how he led. Like I heard one person point out once that uh, for every one book that's written about serving, there's a hundred written about leading. Uh, that's, I haven't done the math, that sounds all right. So people generally don't want to serve, but people love leading. So, you know, but that's how leaders are called to lead through serving. Focusing on serving as a leader demonstrates the gospel of who Jesus is. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So when it talks about lording it over people, they're talking about elders lording their authority over the flock. So um, I've heard some people describe themselves as, well, I just I just have a domineering leadership style. And it's like, 
domineering is not a leadership style, it's a sin. Um, like, God doesn't domineer us. And that's why people who lead like this aren't demonstrating the gospel in their leadership. So when elders lord their authority over the sheep, the sheep eventually feel used. And that's not the kind of shepherd that any sheep wants to follow over the long haul. And from a practical standpoint, uh, people don't like feeling like pawns, no matter how noble or godly like your plan is. People don't like feeling like used or pawns. But what people do follow is elders who are called to, in this verse, to be an example to the people that they're leading. And being an example is critical for spiritual leadership, because you teach what you know, but you produce who you are. Like when Peter calls elders, what Peter calls elders to in this verse demonstrates the gospel because Jesus didn't send us a pamphlet or some Instagram stories about how to live or anything. Like he actually came to us in person and like and was an example for us, like following God. The elders are graciously called to set an example to the flock when it comes to following Jesus and throwing themselves on the grave. You know, then they screw up. Nobody is perfect, but what characterizes them? That's what characterizes them. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, those capital letters there, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I love what Peter does here. He's just like, hey, elders are shepherds, elders are shepherds, elders are shepherds. Oh, when the capital C, capital S shepherd appears, um, it's like he just lays down a trump card. Ah, gotcha. Where's the two weeks I used for trump cards? So like, um, and there's a few things that like, seeing Jesus as the chief shepherd, there's a few things that make this means for us. So as elders, our shepherding is modeled after the way that Jesus shepherds. And that demonstrates the gospel. If Jesus is the chief shepherd, that means that elders are more like under-shepherds. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's what they're talking about. Because there's like, okay, we're shepherds, but like, okay, there's the chief shepherd. Like, we're under-shepherds. Not really in my vocabulary, but like, that's where people get that. Like, we're just under the chief shepherd. And as elders, and this also means that like, as elders... We may be in authority, but we're also under authority. So if you discern that the elders in your church aren't following the chief shepherd and putting themselves under his authority, um, it's a huge understatement to say, like, that's a huge problem. It's like, don't be perfectionistic about your under-shepherds, but um, following the chief shepherd should characterize them. And as elders, Jesus being our chief shepherd models for us that it's good to be for us to be under authority. We see being under authority as good and healthy and desirable. You know, that's why Brandon and I see it as good and safe and beneficial for us to be under the authority of our denomination, for example. I mean, like, we have... Um, People from our denomination, also from X29, which is our network that we're a part of, like they check in on us, like we send our financial reports to our denomination to make sure there aren't financial shenanigans going on. Like just like, you know, it's like there's just like they check in on us and they're just like, okay, you know, and we really respect them and like we submit to them. Like so Scott is our church planning director, like for our denomination, he's also in X29 as well. And like 
um, yeah, like we get a lot of advice and like he checks in on us a lot. So like we, you know, we enjoy being under his authority, you know, and that really models the gospel of like, man, like being under authority is good. And that's why, so when we had our membership classes, so one of the things um, is like we encourage people to uh, read our constitution, which is like reading the phone book kind of a little bit, but whatever. So like one of the things that we structured in our constitution, this is why you can church. All right, so one of the ways that we wrote that thing was that um, we wrote that uh, basically, like, we're a part of Acts 29 and our denomination, and we put that in the Constitution and not the bylaws, so basically we're kind of, like, pouring it in cement a little bit. So you can, like, so that way, like, we don't have rogue elders like Brandon and I are, like, you know, if we were ever, like, uh, I don't really like being under authority of our denomination, we out. And... It's like, no, 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 like, you can get out of that. You just got to get jackhammered and, like get, like, get us out of that. Because, um, yeah, it's like, you know, we don't want to, you know, it's good to be under authority. And, like, yeah, I mean, that's why we, we just really see that as a value. So, and there's theological reasons for that. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger... Submit yourselves to your elders. So here Peter shifts his attention from talking to elders to talking about the people of the church. So he spent four verses talking about, like, you know, to elders, and now he shifts his attention to, like, everybody else, to the people of the church. Most of which, according to Peter, are probably younger. Now keep in mind that, like we've been talking about throughout this series, submission is something that's invited, not something that's demanded. And I think Brandon did a really good job of talking about like the nuances of that, especially last week. And, you know, so I'm not going to rehash that. That's on the website if you want to talk about it, if you want to listen to that. Um, so let's look at the big picture here. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that um, there are four big descriptive verses to the elders, and then a few little words to the flock about submitting to them. Um, big picture, I think that means that there's a weightiness that comes with being an elder. And generally speaking, if elders are following Jesus, if they're eager to serve, if they're being an example, if they're not lording their authority over people, etc., 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 those are the kind of elders that aren't hard to submit themselves to. So big picture, elders should conduct themselves in a way that doesn't make them make it hard for their people to Most importantly, submission in the sense that Peter is talking about is a demonstration of the gospel because your attitude shows to an unbelieving world that we do leadership and followership differently here in the church than in the rest of the world. And that's not different for the sake of being different. Like, it points to the greater reality of the gospel. So we aren't frightened of submission because we know that even Jesus himself submitted himself to the Father and he didn't do that as elders at River City, we're committed to creating a culture where our people don't need to submit to, um, to our leadership in fear. And one of the ways we do that is by taking this passage seriously. So by being an example, by leading through serving, not lording our authority over people. And it also helps to know that as elders, we're accountable to the chief shepherd because we're under his authority. And so in the, in the same way, 
course, that's the language of the patent. Like, you can submit it yourself as well without care. So Peter goes on to say, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So he talks to the elders, talks like one little verse to like everybody else, and then he just zooms it back out like all y'all, okay? All right. So he's talking to everybody in this passage, both, both shepherds and the sheep. Gospel ministry is about relationships and humility. Gospel-shaped humility is what makes relationships between shepherds and sheep work in the church. So you can have all the greatest structures and conflict resolution management skills, like all that kind of stuff, but like humility that comes from the gospel is what makes those relationships work in a local church. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, and that's a truism of the gospel. When we let, when we let the gospel change us, that produces a humility in all of us. And the byproduct of that is that we're committed to each other over the long haul. So in a second here, we're going to be taking communion together. So the bread represents the body of Jesus, and the, um, and the juice represents his blood. And they were broken and shed for you. So, like, he was generous to us. And, like, a communion is a time to respond to his generosity to us. Jesus lived the perfect life that, he was, that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we were supposed to die. So we just respond to him. So the bread and the juice, they're in the back. Um, the worship team is going to be playing three songs. You go back on your own and take communion on your own anytime during those three songs whenever you're ready. You dip the bread in the juice, and then you come back to your seat. So part of being a gospel-centered church, like that's one of our core values, um, part of being a gospel-centered church means that everything that we do at River City is a demonstration or outworking of the gospel. And that includes everything from the relationship between the elders and the people of the church, you know, to how we understand communion. So it's not a religious exercise, you know, like we're responding to Jesus. So when you take communion, it's our time to respond in faith and submission to his leadership. That's why if you're a follower of Jesus, you should just hold off on taking communion. And when we take communion, we acknowledge that the gospel is what changes us. But here at River City, um, let's let the gospel change us. You know, and just like let like the relationships that we have and how we think about um, how we think about elders, how we think about leadership, like how we think about like um, our followership, our submission with that. Let's just have that be like saturated and like like let the gospel inform our understanding of that. You know? And doing so, like our hope is that many people will come and know Jesus because we do things differently here in a good way. Let's make sure that we do that by relying on God's grace. Let's pray. So God, we're thankful for you and how you do us. And I pray that like um, you just really empower like our leadership, like whether it's like small groups and smart leaders or like managers, elders, or whoever God to just really like have um, our leadership just be really a demonstration of the gospel. Yeah, we just really trust you for that, that you're the one that's really changing us and so that like um, 
we can just really, um, yeah, just respond and live with that. Yeah, and we just pray that, like, as we respond to you in communion, that, like, we'll just remember you well, God, and, like, um, yeah, we just really trust you for that. Yeah, thanks for you, and we love you.